I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is the brilliant Dr. Fred Luskin. Fred is a friend who is the director of the Stanford University project about forgiveness. He, among other academic interests, Fred teaches the art of happiness. He teaches uh, developing emotional intelligence. One of my favorite topics he teaches is the psychology of storytelling. And Fred has a way of giving you the truth in a scientific way that actually really, really changes your views of some of the most complex topics that we normally try to address as humans. His books, Forgive for Good and Stress-Free for Good, are bestsellers and definitely de facto standards on the topics of forgiveness and stress. I think it's a conversation you're going to really enjoy listening to. I hope you find it as an invite to slow down with us. Fred, thank you so much for being with us. I'm a huge fan of your work. I followed you since we met in the World Happiness Summit in 2019. And uh, even in my personal story, I've really benefited from your work on forgiveness. So thank you for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you. So how have you been holding up with uh, the lockdowns and Corona and COVID-19 and all of the incredibly disruptive situation we're going through? I mean, personally, I miss being able to just connect with people. It feels very peculiar to have that kind of social distance. I have struggled personally with the loss of travel. You know, I do a lot of my businesses flying all over the place. So there's personal loss in that. I don't have a fully coherent understanding about whether or not all these restrictions are necessary or they're even the smartest. So there's that side of confusion and some loss. On the other side, we all have our ability to be resilient and to cope as best we can with what life throws at us. So I see at least those two aspects in me. Yeah, and I think this is in every one of us. How are they competing? I mean, when you are in such a stressful situation and you coach a lot of people, you teach at Stanford, but you also coach very, very senior executives in the you know, fast-paced it's Silicon true. Valley. Yeah, and these are people that deal with stresses all the time. So what would you do? We're all in this suddenly... For the first time ever, we're all in this together and we're all suffering from an unprecedented uncertainty. How do we make this make sense? Well, I mean, right after you and I are done, I'm doing a webinar for Boston Consulting Group, mm-hmm. some of which is about that question. I think part of the response is that each of us and collectively has to be somewhat okay with confusion and ambivalence. Uh That a kind of rush to solidness 
is probably more fear-based than intelligence-based. Yes, I like that. Right? And fear has very little intelligence in it, right? It has survival intelligence, but it may not have the best coping intelligence. Uh-huh. So I think we all have to... Well, so one of them is to be okay with confusion. But the second one is to, you have to have some kind of personal practice, meditation, um, imagery, something, prayer, yoga, some mindset altering practice to help anchor yourself. Like you may not be in certainty about the world, but you can practice things that help you be a little more peaceful inside, which allows us to have, to have a little less anxiety about not being certain. So sort of think about what is certain and bring that into yourself or think about practices that actually don't even relate to the situation, just mind training, just, I like the idea that you said prayer. How would that fit in? I mean, prayer is a practice that has been shown to have most of the same positive effects of meditation and yoga. It's a repetitive focus on an idea or a concept, and it's a quieting inside. I'm going to also say that positive prayer rather than negative prayer like allows us to connect with a source that's higher or deeper or bigger so that within that we can feel safer or that can provide some contextual meaning. So you can pray for good or you can pray for bad. You know, you can pray for harm to come to people and you can pray for things to fall apart and you can pray for good to come to people and yourself. I laughed because I find it such a waste of a prayer, right? If you think you're going to get, your prayer is going to get answered, why pray for harm to others? I mean, seriously, like pray for a million dollars for yourself or pray for, you know, your life to be amazing or just pray for something positive and good for yourself instead of praying for harm, right? But some people somehow still, I call it a waste of a good prayer, really. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> a, it's, a, it's a silly way of using your cards, really. So you pray for good. I love your book, Forgive for Good. And I think that concept of forgiveness, I don't know, I'm probably biased, but I think you own that space. Like you're the boss when it comes to the topic of forgiveness with the work you're doing in Stanford, but also with the book and the way you spread this message around the world. Allow me to ask you, I mean, there is so much conspiracy theory and those did this and the Chinese did that and the Americans right. did this and this is, where is this coming from and how do we deal with this really? You know, where is forgiveness in any of this? I mean, that's such a big question. <laughs> I can understand because I feel it myself. Most of the conspiracy theories appear to be based a lot on both fear and hostility, a deep mistrust of human beings, that the very foundation of those theories is usually kind of very frightened 
and very, like, I'm going to say hostile. So that energy is destabilizing to anybody who receives that energy. So, of course, it's uncomfortable. Then there's another part of our brain that recognizes there's a chance that some of that is true. Like we've, yeah. the world is often an unfair, hostile, selfish place. And there's often a germ of truth to some of these theories. And so that's another level of discomfort for us, you know, just being and hearing them. So there's a, a very famous thing in the psychological world. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that people aren't following you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's like you're really hurting a lot of us here. So that's <laughs> really true. Yeah. So, but I think we each have to see what, what I hear you saying is I think we each have to, to some degree, determine what kind of inner world we want to live in. Mm -hmm. And so what you said is you don't want to wish people harm, probably because you don't like what that creates in you. You'd rather wish somebody well or wish yourself well. It gets to the same aim. Mm -hmm but it does so with different effects. So that's part of your decision as to how you believe that you will best be inside. I think there are people in this world who either were raised in such chaotic or harsh homes, or they themselves simply carry like such woundedness that it's harder for them to imagine that it will be okay if they're just wishing well, that their insides are destabilized enough that wishing well probably doesn't feel safe enough. And so they're just, that's their way of either stabilizing or compensating is to wish harm. It kind of creates a, a balance in their own inside but we're all we're all trying to balance ourselves as best we can with what feels comfortable to us based on our both experiences and hopes is there any benefit at all from engaging in all of those conversations i mean i'm extreme and i i say that when i know some people think it's mad but i have been here in in london when the lockdown started so i'm stuck in london and, you know, I have literally not even once looked at the news, not a single time. Wow. Yeah. Every single thing that I need to know comes to me in a WhatsApp message from one of my friends. It's like human filtering. It's basically Google News on steroids, if you want, because this is humans that really, really know me. And, uh, you know, they're filtering through all of the news and saying, hey, Mo, you need to be aware of this. And I will tell you openly that this makes my life so much smoother. I am a very calm pond with no disturbances whatsoever. And when people send me all of those conspiracy theories of like, this is 5G and people did this and, you know, it's coming from that. 
I go like, that's crap and doesn't really make any difference to my life at all. I don't need to know about it. All I need to know about is what are my quarantine hours? What am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? How can I stay safe? How can I make sure my loved ones are safe? And I know I'm the extreme of that. But some people engage madly with those stories. Like this was manufactured by this person put in that space because the Illuminatis want to, you know, put a serum in our butts and then eventually all of us are going to be controlled, right? How do you deal with it? I mean, is there any sense in that? And I, I hear your balanced view of some people are born or raised like that, but shouldn't that be something that when we work on ourselves, we should change? I mean, I've heard a number of those same conspiracy things and I think there's two parts to the message. One is the content, mm -hmm. and one is the level of energy that the content is delivered by. Yeah, exactly. Intensity. So sometimes the content may have some value, while the energy itself can be quite destructive. So you want to separate out, let's say, the fear, arousal, threat of the delivery, and sometimes some of the content can be true. So just to take the 5G thing, I don't know enough about it, but there is a possibility that some of the things that they're saying about it are true, which may not be the enough of a reason to be as angry or inciting about it, but it doesn't mean that there aren't some really intelligent things inside that message. Correct. I totally agree. Nothing is all black. Nothing is all white. There is always a gold nugget in every few lines of code, right? Right. So, yeah. And you never want to forget, I mean, when you said about silver linings, you never want to forget that throughout history, different people have given, let's say, warnings or alarms with different levels of, let's say, hostility or needing to create enemies around it, that you can be concerned about the, let's say, the environment without having to demonize every person that you see yes. who isn't as concerned about the environment as you are. Yeah, which goes back to the same topic of, you know, instead of wishing harm or thinking bad of other people, right? you can still spread your message without demonizing anyone, right? You can still try to, you know, recruit people to your mission if you want. That's what I would teach a lot of during forgiveness things, that it's, it's very easy to find lots of things in this world to be against. <laughs> yes, it is true. I mean, endlessly. Yeah, endless things to be grumpy about and endless people telling you about them. So, yeah, absolutely. The world is a, a crazy place, but what's harder is to align oneself deeply with things that one is for. Hmm. Tell me more about this. This is really wonderful. I know where you're getting with this. One of the things that most struck me, and I, I remember hearing this about one of Martin Luther King's, I think, more 
like important messages was that he at some point would talk about that he wasn't as much against racism as he was for good treatment of all human beings. Mm. And I think he said this, but it may have been added by somebody else. The challenge is, let's say, when you're against racism, it doesn't put any responsibility on you to act positively in a certain way because the problem is outside of you. If you're for equitable, caring treatment of all human beings, then you also have to behave that way. And that's really hard. Mm. And so it's much easier for human beings to just rail against what they don't like rather than it is to deeply establish in themselves how they want to live and to make that part of their message. And I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that the human experience has always had. That is so spot on. I mean, I often say that perhaps because of our upbringing, it's easier to be motivated by the negative than it is to be motivated by the positive. I never actually put it as clearly as you just said it. I, I thought, you know, in my mind that because as children, we study not to fail the exam rather than to learn. To learn is the positive side. To fail the exam is the fear of the negative. That most of our trends in life are about the idea of let's just think about the negative sides. I hate this. I want to change that. I don't want to be part of this and so on. And that you could have the same impact, even more energy and power if you actually motivate yourself by the positive, because then your driving force doesn't eat you from the inside, if you know what I mean. Exactly. But it carries with it the very deep problem of personal responsibility. Yes, exactly. It's like, ah, come on. So I'm now in charge. Okay. You know, <laughs> right. And I'm responsible for my own behavior, not just here to criticize other people. Mm. And that is a very high bar. That is probably one of the biggest challenges yeah. humanity faces. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so when you ask about the conspiracy stuff, you know, again, there's the difference between the message and the messenger, which is the message and the messenger may mean good things for the world, but the fear and the hostility or the, the need for power or just the disruption that's offered may make the positive part of it harder to connect with or even may help it get lost. I get a lot of conversations, especially, of course, as you can imagine, my circles have a lot of spiritual people and happiness experts. And yeah. some of us are, are a little too optimistic. Let's just put it this way. And so, you know, <laughs> I get so many of those messages around, oh, look how amazing this is for the world. And 
know, I just got someone sending me a, a picture of the Himalayas from 300 miles away, which basically says the air is cleaner or, you know, I don't know if you heard about that, but there was in the news in the Netherlands yesterday that turtles are starting to pop up everywhere. They counted 500 of them in any place where there is water, which is all of the Netherlands basically is always just water. And it's, it's really interesting to allow ourselves to think about some of those beautiful positivities that are coming. But you had a very interesting view around the idea of how we bring this together. We have a, a realistic view of both the positive and the negative together and how to balance that. You know, the air is cleaner. Mm-hmm. And, and since you, I know you worked at Google's Mountain View office, I was walking yesterday at Shoreline Park. Uh-huh. And it's so clean that you can see across the bay and see cars, little tiny cars driving on 880 Amazing. on the East Bay side. It's so clean and so pristine and everything feels better. Yeah, it is amazing, really. Not just on the senses, but I think everybody has a bodily sense of how beautiful this earth can be when we're not polluting it every second in every direction. It feels better. It's really amazing when you think about it. It's just two months. We stopped for two months. This is it, really. And look at the impact. It's like Earth is saying, just give me a break. I'll handle it. Just give me a tiny break. Like, stop, right? But here's what could be really challenging about that. That one, yes, it is so much beautiful. And you know, the flight plan to SFL, which goes right over the bay, Instead of two planes, like every 30 seconds, there's one plane like every three minutes. And so it's beautiful. So, But that says, okay, do we want to go back to the world that we had? We may not want to. But two, maybe, and I'm no climate genius, but maybe our Earth is more repairable than some of the climate alarmists said. You know, because of six weeks or four weeks of, you know, let's just stop this. And you can see and feel such difference. It may make us question all sorts of assumptions. That's a very interesting way of looking at it, by the way, Fred. I think think the reality is, it is clear to me that if you're going on an exponential curve on the upside, that change on the downside is also exponential. So instead of doubling cycles, you're getting halving cycles or the downside. So we could actually get a lot of progress just by changing very little. And I think that's such an interesting way of looking at it because when we go to the politicians in the world and you know and the economists and all of the money makers and say, no, no, hold on, we have to stop everything that we're doing, it's a big ask, right? It doesn't make sense. And maybe by asking for a bit less than what we're asking for, we could actually have a massive impact on the environment. I've never thought about it this way. That's actually a very interesting and clever way of looking at it. And you know, you asked me a few minutes ago about forgiveness. And at its deepest level, I mean, forgiveness is a really challenging thing. And I believe, I mean, at its core, 
one of the necessary ways of being in this world because the human beings, at least up to now, are a flawed species. <laughs> yes. So there has to be a way to make peace with the tremendous harm that human beings do. One way is to, like, as you said, like, look for silver linings. I believe that's important. Another is to be grateful for the really good stuff that human beings do. But forgiveness is rarely talked about because what forgiveness requires is that we look honestly at how much harm human beings do like deep, profound harm to each other and the planet, and just silver linings and just gratitude, they're wonderful. But I think there's also a place in us, and I think the deeper spiritual teachings touch that, is like you have to find ways to, to manage the negativity and the fear and the pain, you can't just like, everything's lovely in a way. There's not enough kumbaya. And so forgiveness is that quality that also says, yeah, you know, there's a lot of evil out there and a lot of bad, and I'm going to do my best not to become bitter. Like, that's my work, so that I don't spread that evil in my being. Mm. Are you saying that when we don't forgive, we're spreading the negative? I don't want to make completely blanket statements, but when, like, let me just use your example of the conspiracy stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're conspiracy theorists on all sides of the political spectrum, right? <laughs> If you combine them all, it's a zero. They cancel each other out, really. Right. There is one yeah, on every side. So it's not just one part. But if your mind goes, wow, there's just so many nutcases out there. <laughs> yes. Then you, you have negativity in you as a reaction. Mm -hmm. And so you're no longer bringing a certain goodness to the world. Mm -hmm. So forgiveness is a quality that allows the conspiracy theorists to do their thing, agree or disagree as you wish, but not necessarily condemn them. It also allows you to, you know, have your own reactions, some of which are skillful, some of which are not skillful. Choose which ones work but not necessarily condemn yourself either. Ah, that's so beautiful. You see what I'm saying? That's the essential nature of forgiveness. And because it's so difficult and so pervasive the need, you rarely hear about it. I mean, I've, I've been teaching this now for almost 25 years. And for something so important and so valuable, it gets so little cultural play. Yeah, And the most striking area of that is most of the surveys that look at what makes a successful, long-term, intimate relationship, forgiveness is heading towards the top. 
Oh, wow. Well, of course, because if you live with somebody for 20 years, they're going to drive you crazy. <laughs> exactly. They're human, yeah? Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to forgive as part of a successful relationship. But we don't talk about that. We talk about all sorts of things, but not this deep quality of recognizing human difficulty, human pain in the butt stuff. And that, you know, in order to maintain relationship, you're going to deal with difficulty inside and outside. And you don't want to get stuck in your reactions to that difficulty. But I'm just saying that forgiveness is so rarely talked about like, yeah, this is bad and this did hurt and this may be evil and we want to notice it and acknowledge it, but not become harsh ourselves because of it. Everyone knows I'm a huge fan of a lot of spiritual teachings and I totally respect and adore Christianity and Christianity is all about forgiveness and it's the largest. Yeah the largest religion in, in our planet, you take Hinduism or Buddhism, even Islam, if you understand it correctly. I mean, it's so ingrained in religion, the idea of forgiveness. But, you know, as you rightly say, it's so rarely ever spoken about and almost seldom practiced. Where is this connect? I mean, why are we learning those things if we're not practicing them? Forgiveness is one of the biggest challenges to the human ego. Oh, Tell me more. Ego is one of my favorite topics. Let's talk about that. Well, but it's the ego is the sense of self. And it's the thoughts we have around our sense of self that are the ego, you know, this conceptual thing that we all create. And the ego, its purpose is to defend this identity. Mm-hmm. The individuality. Yeah. It's me. I'm protecting this thing and I, you know, the others are different. They're outside of, of me. Of course. Yeah. Right. So there's so many threats to the sovereignty of this self that the ego is in constant battle. So the ego's job is to alert you to threats to the self, defend you from those threats, tell you how much better you are than all the other things out there. Forgiveness tells the ego, you're not really the the sharpest knife in the drawer around a lot of things because you take offense at your mother and you take offense at your partner and you don't like things your kids do and you hold on to it. And so you start blowing up your own relationships. Forgiveness is the quality that's designed to come in there and repair. Hmm. But the egos, it gets its jollies from the lack of repair, from being right, from yes. protection. Yes. That explains it. I know you understand that. Because I know you have to run to your next webinar, I, I want to ask you about your second book, The uh, Stress-Free for Good. You know, you take a very scientific approach to a topic that is quite fluid sometimes when we talk about from a a spiritual point of view. And I think this is a time of stress for a lot of people. There is so much in the air and in our lives to stress us. So what would be your top two or three tips on being stress-free in the current environment? Oh, that's a great question. 
I think the first would be a kind of decision to practice kindness to just to yourself. At a minimum, we're all disrupted. There's a lot of fear everywhere. I went to Whole Foods the other day and I rounded the corner and some guy saw me rounding the corner. So he ran away, you know, because he didn't want to get contaminated by me. And I smiled at him. And he was like so running away that even my smile was threatening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there's a, like inside of me, like it's a practice to just let it be because it's hard for everybody. Yeah. Everybody's disrupted. Everybody's coping. Everybody's challenged. And just allow myself to have a range of reactions and just recognize that on the end of the day, I'd like to end up with kindness to myself, to other people, but just a kind of seeding around kindness because it's just so hard mm. for everyone. Yeah, it is so beautifully put, but not that easily implemented, is it? I mean, you definitely are the product of years and years of training on the topic. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and second, again, in a time like this, I think everybody needs to practice some form of meditation, focusing, breath practice, something. Because since our brains are being so assaulted by uncomfortable stimuli, we have to balance that inside of ourselves, I'm going to say neurologically, but I don't believe our normal consciousness is good enough to do that, and we have to do more. That would be my, my second thing, that you have to practice something. You have to take 10 minutes out and listen to Headspace or, you know, lie down and let it go. But I think there's so much stuff around that our brain and nervous system need help. Yeah, they need guidance. And the third one would be in whatever way you can share your experience with other people. Oh, interesting. Like we need connection. And we need shared brains. Like my brain needs your brain to be at its best. Like the brain is a social organism. And so I would need to share my inner experiences and the part that's also important. I need to listen to yours. Like it's not just sharing. It's a reciprocal experience. So that's exactly what I'm going to do the webinar on, those three things. But those are three that are so simple to practice kindness, self-regulate, and share. Yeah, it's not too hard to ask. They're universal. But in now, because we don't know how quickly this is going to get better. And perhaps that might be the main reason why we need to just use the opportunity. I mean, in reality, I think for all of us, there is a tiny bit more time, at least, if not a lot more time for those practices to come in. It is. 
I can't thank you enough. You're always, always such an inspiration and with your tips are so straightforward. I want to remind everyone, if we can, just the idea of sharing to me is really, really key. It's that level of connection, I not only for yourself, but also for others. I think the reality is that so many people out there are very lonely in the current environment. And I, I have gone out of my way and I know thousands of people to just send a small text, you know, maybe arrange a short call. And it really, really benefits me. And I think it's something that everyone should do. Other than that, have your practice and really look into kindness. If people want to follow your work, is there a place where they should go? A website? Should they search for your videos? What do you recommend, Fred? I mean, if you just look my name up in Google, mm -hmm. There's access to like a hundred videos. I mean, of YouTube videos and my books are there. I do have a website, but I'm not really searching for that much publicity. Very, very wise, I would say. <laughs> when people contact me, you know, I respond. But Google now, you simply put my name in and there'll be access to me teaching all sorts of stuff on the video and my books and just all sorts of articles about my work. I'm not hard to find. Very good. So Fred, I'm really grateful. So everyone search for Dr. Fred Luskin. So L-U-S-K-I-N. And I think you'll benefit a lot from his work. I am so grateful for your time, for your advice, for the wonderful chat as always. I hope next year we can meet in person again. It's like this year it was canceled, but uh, it's been wonderful to connect. Are you going back to Wahasu next year? I've been every year. It's been an incredible experience so far, and the people I met were wonderful. Me too. I look forward to seeing you then. Absolutely. Fred, thank you so much, and we will talk again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for Mo Gaudet, Slow Mo, Soul for Happy, or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, stay happy.